0: Live from the Talking Joe Studios. It's Talking Joe.
1: Talking Joe, we podcast. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe, no, thought we would last. Talking Joe is there. Find each other like a married couple. Our podcast on the air. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe is the codename for a completely untrained special podcast force. Its purpose, to produce a regular comic review show while breaking and replacing a series of presenters from across the world. Talking Talking Joe. Joe. Talking Joe is there. Talking Joe. We are on our soapbox. Nobody seems to care. Fighting for fandom wherever there's trouble The podcast on the air Talking Joe is there Talking Joe Talking Joe
2: Talking Joe is on the air
1: Hey, 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 it's me, Mark, and welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. If you're new to the show, you can find out all the details at the website, talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we are continuing our look at the G.I. Joe disavowed era, The Devil's Due Run, and specifically, we are talking about G.I. Joe versus Transformers, a six-issue limited series from Devil's Due in 2003. Now, without further ado, let me introduce my co-hosts. First up, it's the world's leading Benjamin Franklin Impressionist. (laughs) It's a real American autobot. It's Tim Finn. Hi, Mark. Hello, listeners. And assembling with the rest of us to join and form one giant talking Joticon. it's
2: G.I. Prime it's jay cordray podcast combiners unite let's do this
0: uh, idw has come up with uh, sort of the canon onomatopoeia for the transformers sound effect uh-huh uh, idw has been using it in transformers comics for the last five or ten years and it's it's a uh, t-s-h-e dash like that and then those four letters repeated and then dash and those four letters repeated um, so when a transformer in a comic actually transforms, there is a sound effect for it.
1: Somebody gets that wrong Is it is anything like mine? Ch- oh, yeah,
0: Wait a minute, what's that? Yes, you're all doing excellent versions of it.
1: Thank you. <laughs> um, so before we get too far into it, uh, a, a discussion prompted from SJub7, uh, from the last podcast where we pointed out that Lifeline had a weapon and was that an error, um, Tim, you said that uh, he's a toy. He has to have a weapon, or no one will buy it. Then ex- riddle me this, Mister Tim. What about Mainframe, who did not come with a weapon? How did that happen?
2: Nobody bought Mainframe. Yeah, I bet. I bet
0: he was a, a bit of a peg warmer. <laughs> that's. That's. I'm guessing.
1: There we go. That's your answer, Stephen. What was funny Mainframe sucks?
2: Line, what was okay. funny with the original line was you had some characters like Tunnel Rat who's supposed to be in a confined space with a huge gun i mean his gun was like one of the biggest machine guns in fact i always used his gun oh, yes. second yeah, yeah, yeah. gun with my roadblock or not roadblock rock and roll version too because i hated his guns uh, but i loved tunnel rats but didn't think that it worked with somebody that was supposed to be in a confined mm-hmm. space
1: give the guy in a, in a confined space the biggest line of the right. entire
2: yeah. line yeah yeah mm. What is this? A cement mixer? Take it in the tunnel and shut up. <laughs> We're gonna
1: talk about coming from Devil's Jew. It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. oh oh Crashing on to G.I. Joe vs. Transformers, which ran from June 2003 to January 2004. The story was by Josh Blaylock, The Pencils, Mike S. Miller, Inks, Armando, Dorothy, and Corey Hampshire, Colors, Link Studio with Hi-Fi Color Design, Letters, Dreamer Design, Graphic Design, Mike Norton, and Cover A's generally by Mike S. Miller. There's an, so, added,
0: there's an added credit. The final two issues uh, are written by uh, Josh Blaylock with Dan Jolly.
1: Thank you. Yes, with yeah, indeed, I missed that one.
0: It's it's very it's very small on the inside cover of the issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But please, please continue.
1: <laughs> thank you. I mean, the the yeah, these final issues were sort of coming out at the same time as uh, sort of Blaylock was wrapping up his his run on the main book. So maybe. Yeah, it's an era where he's trying to step back and uh, you know because he had also had the with uh, Brandon Gerwa in his last couple of issues as as well so uh, maybe, maybe the same dynamic uh, occurring there so um, let's have a look at the things that are on the front of these books which are called something let's have a look at the covers in the gallery covers that's right so there are across these six issues almost uh 20 covers i think issue 1 was it eight that, that i said so uh, rather than going through each one in exhaustive detail as we were, normally would i thought maybe we can talk about covers in general for these maybe pick a, a favorite and and yeah discuss what makes a gi joe versus transformer cover work gij what do you think
2: uh, well, let's start off with number one. Uh, the first one and and I'm I'm gonna spend more time on these because I looked at these ones more than the other ones. Um, but the number one, uh, the first cover with Snake Eyes and Optimus Prime, at first I looked at that and I thought that was kind of too dark. but then the more I, I zoomed in on and kind of got to, to to really look at the details, I was blown away by and this is gonna sound stupid. But especially like on my computer monitor, which is how I'm reading this, I got a, a pretty big monitor. Um, if you look at like the coloring and the the lighting on Snake Eyes' foot, the one that's that's foremost coming towards this, um, that shoe and the sole of that shoe just is really, really nicely colored. I mean, I know it's kind of probably a stupid minor detail to get caught up on, but I thought it looked really cool. I think this one is is by Miller, maybe. And I'd never, um, you know, this is kind of one of the things I want to talk to you guys about is... is how big of a Transformers fan you are, and what your uh, exposure to the IP in general is. I've, uh, when I was a kid, I had a few Transformers. I had most of them probably from the first first couple lines, um, but I only ever read the Marvel comic up to like issue nine. So I've never read any other comics, or se- I've seen a few here and there, and I've always been impressed with the uh, the way that some people draw the machinery and stuff. But um, yeah, I've just never been that. You know, big end of the property after that. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought that first cover was real nice. Snake Eyes and um, Optimus Prime. The second one with Campbell, uh, Cobra Commander, and Megatron is good. It's it's not great. I do love the riflings in uh, in Megatron's gun. And that's really, I mean, once you get past that first cover, uh, you know, the second one, who is it, Soundwave, and then Destro in the background. I'm not really a big fan of how they draw Destro, and I'm not sure you know what i want different in that but i've seen some people i think kurth maybe did that kind of effect with with his Mm. head uh, i'm just not a huge fan of it but um
1: yeah and we can talk about it in a in a bit because it's the same artist isn't it but um yeah he's uh he's big into he's big into kind of playing with the reflective yeah yeah the, the
2: reflective surfaces which honestly that's i mean i suppose that's the way you should do it but um yeah, I don't know. After the first couple, none of them really stick out. I mean, at that point, they just kind of become pinups, And especially as I don't think any of them really have a whole lot to do with the content of the story, do they? I mean, they're all just kind of, uh, let's throw some characters together. But I guess number three is kind of, uh, kind of goes along with the story. You got Optimus Prime freaking out and, and waking up and all the Cobras are like, this is not good. Yeah, you got some showdown type of stuff. Yeah, overall the covers aren't aren't terribly impressive. Uh, who is the one? There's looking through the the alternate ones. Like with number four, the one that's just got like a, the Constructicons on, it, and they're huge. A lot of these shots like this, you're, I don't know, you're just really crammed in there, and it's hard to. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's very sometimes very to busy. see what's going that's... on. It's like
2: watching a Michael Bay movie and trying to figure out whether it's Starscream or Megatron that's on on the on the mm-hmm. on screen. Yeah
1: that's a mark brooks okay uh-huh. yeah
2: brooks he's good i mean he's gotten a lot better but I mean, even then a lot
1: of work in the colors on that one
2: 2003 was uh was pretty good yeah i don't know i don't have a whole lot of thoughts overall on the color covers uh, what do you guys think
1: the the one that i was going to uh talk about was issue five which is storm shadow over at uh, stand standing atop of um a defeated optimus prime he's, he's standing on top of a severed head essentially on on the on the floor and it's you know it's quite a cool image it isn't you know reflective of what happens on on the inside but what is particularly interesting about that cover was that uh, it was translated into a into a statue so in uh 2007 there was a company called first four figures it released this um optimus prime versus storm shadow statue 7.5 inches tall, limited to 250 pieces in the USA from Action Figure Express and another 250 pieces uh, in the UK at Play.com. Came in a few in five pieces, which were then assembled together to make uh, the, the statue. And yeah, very, very cool looking in sta- statue in the in the UK. I, d- I don't think there was enough demand for it. So they were selling it pretty cheap in the end. Um, but because there's so few. Um, nowadays i think it goes for for a more of a pretty penny but um yeah just a quite cool aspect to it really of of recreating that uh that cover as a uh, as a statue and there was almost going to be a second one as well that there was a baroness and ravage um statue that was mooted based on the art to uh the convention edition issue three um with the statue actually looking a lot cooler than the cover that it <laughs> that it related to which looks somewhat sort of basic but this yeah the, the the statue that that was kind of revealed but never ultimately produced uh did uh, did look very cool although yeah it did uh it did ultimately see see in a slightly separate toy exclusive uh figure um my, my one of my friends who's A massive, massive uh, Transformers fan also produced me a piece of uh, fan art for my birthday, Once Upon a Time, which was a kind of reinterpretation of uh, Baroness and Ravage, uh, which is uh, pretty cool. So I'll I'll ping that image uh, across to you guys uh, at some point.
2: That's cool.
0: So I'm going to answer Jay's question about what kind of Transformers fan I am in a minute when we get to the sort of top down of the miniseries. But I do want to talk about uh, two covers briefly. One is cover B of issue one which Jaredy referred to the J Scott Campbell with Andy Tong and Eric Co cover uh, cover Commander and Megatron and then also cover 4B. So in this issue one cover it's it's a real thrill to have J Scott Campbell back even if it's just for one cover and not a whole run of covers. Because he's so important to the Devil's Due era of GI Joe comics, drawing covers for the initial miniseries, and also that pinup from that issue of Wizard, which helped kick off the 2000s nostalgia boom. And not just that, you know, he's a superstar, but he can draw uh, a real sweet spot version of these characters that looks like they've stepped out of the the TV shows. Um, it's still a little exaggerated with his proportions, and it does, you know, look like comics and not animation. But J. Scott Campbell really cartoons, he really caricatures. Um, but, you know, if you sort of um, can ignore for a second that he draws like babes and he draws very, like, you know, taut superheroes like Spider Man swinging around, he's very, very good at drawing because he does covers and he does a lot of pinups. I think sometimes we sort of forget just how talented he is. Um, So even though this cover, you know, doesn't have enough story in it, uh, there is a bit of Megatron and Cobra Commander uh, being in opposition in this miniseries. And I, I don't mind for some of the covers uh, on a series like this, them being just a sort of pinup with two characters because, and this is where I'm going to talk about cover 4B, the, the risk of doing a, a a cover with too many characters for a series like this is that you have four factions, right? Like a G.I. Joe cover can already be busy because you've got Joe and Cobra. When you incorporate Joe and Cobra and also giant alien robots and other giant alien robots, it can be hard to work in everyone in a scale that makes sense. And I speak from experience because um in middle school and high school, I drew an amazing and hilarious Transformers uh, fan fiction comic. And uh, it's really hard when you're drawing in the scale of giant robots to work in the occasional human because either, either you have to have all these like convenient, like twenty foot tall, like mounds of dirt, or if if you're inside, I mean, you know, for the humans to stand on so they can be at eye level with the with the robots, or you need the robots to always be leaning down to talk to the humans, or the humans are in their hands and they've brought their hands up, uh, or you just have to deal with sort of perspective where the robot's kind of far away because we're on the scale of a five-foot-tall human who's standing on the ground. So um, uh, Mark Brooks's cover for issue three uh, is great because it's much more simple, there's a lot of breathing room in the background and the colors are more flat, more more like animation cell shading. The cover for 4B falls apart because in every little bit of negative space, Mark Brooks is cramming in one more Transformer. I showed this to my wife last night um, and she didn't even see Snake Eyes until she had been looking at it for a long time. And so I like the idea of a big battle between a bunch of Transformers and Joes and Cobras, but. Um, the inking isn't separating the close and far layers enough. The color isn't separating the close and far layers enough. There are too many characters and the coloring is way too aggressive. So when I look at this cover, whether just the front cover or the front and back cover together, um, I just see a lot of like dark and light color, dark and light color, dark and light color. I just see a lot of very busy color, color, color.
1: I definitely, yeah agree agree with that and uh yeah actually number three number three is one of probably my one of my yeah more favorite of of the of the covers it's uh definitely more subtle and and helped by being a less crowded uh image. One of the one of the other things uh um I notice about these these covers is uh you know the selection of of you know interesting artists so uh, particularly jumping out to me is karare andrews on issue 1 who the this particular image is quite sort of exaggerated and cartoony uh, but he's one of these artists where you know when he when he produces something you know say good or bad it's it will always be interesting and he's uh, you know got quite a a chameleon um like um ability to really pull his style in completely different and distinct di- directions, you know, that to the extent you, often that, that you wouldn't realize it was the, the same artist and sort of very experimental as, as well.
0: Uh, Curry Andrews is someone who can draw in a multitude of styles. And if you like this, this sort of uh, uh, cartoony reduced style he's using here he drew two really unusual issues of ultimate x-men in this style mm-hmm, uh, I yeah think it was twenty three, twenty four, right in there that just looked like it was uh, a tv cartoon and it mm-hmm. didn't at all match the previous two years <laughs> it really did uh and it was totally totally awesome uh but you know he's drawn other series uh you know like his spider-man reign is you know completely different um and his upcoming uh, amazing fantasy i think is going to uh be completely different
2: um rain kind of had more of a a miller varley look to it didn't it yeah yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's yes he's someone who um you know what before we go down the road of of uh, of an artist who did one cover for this series um (laughs) i'm I'm gonna swing us back uh something else that makes it hard for the artists drawing these covers is the logo treatment Mm -hmm. um the logo is a lot of space yeah, it takes up a lot of space um, because you have to fit in two, And the Transformers logo is really busy because it has a gradient. Now, I don't know mm. if Hasbro said you have to use this or if Devil's Do Press said we want to use this. But um, the G.I. Joe logo is legible in all these because uh, uh, it's, it's, it's never flat white, but it's got just the smallest white to light gray gradient. Imagine everyone if the Transformers logo was just a solid light color inside those thick black outlines. Um, It would not be competing with all of the characters and details and color below it in most of these covers. And, uh, you know, I go back to my, I've said this in many episodes before in terms of color and also sometimes in terms of art, uh, less is more. Um, And just because this logo is like the, the original one and it's awesome uh, doesn't mean it's the best logo for these covers.
1: Okay, shall we take this point to sort of talk generally about our, you know, obviously we're all died in the wool GI Joe fans, but should we talk about our kind of thoughts on, or, or our experiences with Transformers specifically?
2: Sure.
0: Yeah, Jay, you had mentioned that you d- got not very far with the comic. Did you watch the cartoon? Did you buy the toys?
2: I had, like I said, I had most of the toys uh, from the first couple years. Once the movie hit, I think I had uh, Rodimus Prime, maybe. And then maybe one other one. I'm thinking possibly Cup. Uh, but that was it. I didn't have anything really beyond that. I don't know whether it was that the movie turned me off. Because I don't think it really did. I, I still watch the cartoon. Like I remember lots of episodes with the, the Sharktacons and the Quench. Quintessens or whatever they're called and um yeah but but, i mean i think it was just it was kind of like like with a lot of other things you know if you look at my toy boxes now there might be you know six or eight he-man figures or 10 or 20 transformers or something um and then there's like 500 joes it it just was a was a case that i was so such a big fan of joe that nothing else was going to eclipse that and uh, you know joe is a is a there's a lot of fantastical elements to it, but it still can be considered uh, real world much more than something like Transformers would. So I think that was what what really cemented the Joe brand for me more was just that it, it was more realistic. Um, I like a lot of Transformers. I just never really, you know, I think the last comic that I read was the one with Circuit Breaker in it, and I just was like, "Ugh, this is garbage," and uh, never never picked it up after that
0: strong words on the end
1: of the wildman i
2: know, uh, uh, know.
0: Furman wildman run uh mark what kind of transformers fan are you
1: um so um uh, I guess the probably the earliest experience of transformers for me were the cartoons which would be shown on TTV tv on the uh, wide awake club on uh, children's tv in in the mornings on the on the weekends and um I think during the the holidays as as well, and that was at a fairly, you know, a fairly prime time t- t- TV viewing uh, time for the morning TV, uh, and that was pretty much the only opportunity you would have to to see the the, the cartoons, and uh, the toys were coming out at the same time, and I, I got a handful of you know just probably about five Transformers um total. Uh, my best friend, as I mentioned, Shumit, he is is a massive massive transformers fan and um now he's you know my age and he's an artist and very very still influenced by the the transformers he he made a giant life-size sort of uh, uh, laser beak statue um that fully articulated and 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 um all of these kinds of things um and so you know because of my friendship with with him it was a big thing because you know all he wanted to do was play with transformers and talk about transformers and for you know i was very much a gi Joe, well action force fan that was my massive thing the action force comics were being reprinted in the back of the transformers weekly comic book so i was reading the transformers as part of that and you know enjoying it but but really not near as much as uh as the gi joe and you know, once it wasn't part of the GI Joe experience in terms of having to buy that that, that comic to to read the 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 GI Joe side of it, um, you know, wasn't really seeking it 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 out. And I think, yeah, the more uh, you know, the the more fantastical sci fi components, you know, whatever you'd want to describe it as, probably just connected less with me. Just sort of robots harder to. Uh, I guess buy into the emotion it's harder to relate to and to, re- to relate to yeah um and i think yeah i've always found it a little bit difficult to find a way in you know because of that that sort of aspect and yeah i've sort of read a few more comics since i sort of read picked up the, the first bit of the idw reboot which was you know handled well but not uh, you know a lot of those issues sort of left me completely cold particularly like the sort of some of the standalone spotlight stuff that they would, they were doing. It was just, um, yeah, sort of enjoy like, like transformers generally as a concept, but, um, yeah, not, not quite so much of a fan, particularly of the comics. Well, it sounds
0: like I am, if we were to take your fandom, Mark and Jay, combine it and multiply it by three, we might get my, (laughs) we might get my fandom. Um, (laughs) In 84, my brother and I went all in on the TV show and the toy. The animated movie stunned me and changed my life. Uh, I was the youngest pre-registrant at the first Transformers convention. And I attended all of them for the next uh, 12 years. Wow. Uh, I was a dealer at the second one. I, I read... (laughs) <laughs> uh, I got to perform uh, with Peter Cullen in front of a, a big crowd of people nice uh, for like a convention exclusive um, like 15 minute uh, scripts with uh, some of the voice actor guests playing their characters from the cartoon uh, I've already mentioned the uh, Transformers comic that uh, my buddy wrote and I drew in middle school high school and college and um you know, even even two months ago, I was watching the newest show on Netflix, uh, which is good. When this miniseries came out, G.I. Joe versus Transformers, in 2003, at that time, I was a bigger Transformers fan than G.I. Joe fan. And if that sounds hard <gasps> to believe, if it has, sounds hard to believe this isn't to say that i was a smaller gi joe fan. (laughs) this is to say that i was a gigantic gi joe fan and i was a slightly more gigantic transformers fan at that time the interviews i was doing for my gi joe book were in fact interviews for what was going to be two books one on transformers and one on gi joe because a lot of the people involved worked on both um so um Uh, And I should note that even though I bailed on the Devil's Due monthly GI Joe comic after issue 10, after the second arc, I did come back near the end of the second year for this miniseries because I was intrigued um, and certainly the covers for issue one were really exciting. Uh, I also liked the idea that it was six issues. Because you know when there had been crossovers previously uh, with Marvel, they had only been four issues or four issues worth. Um, so uh, that's a that's a good segue. And what I want to spend just a moment on, uh, just for context for our um, so many so many listeners, is before Jay jumps into the plot, I think it's worth spending just a sentence on sort of how the two previous. G.I. Joe and Transformers. I guess I guess Mark can spend a, a moment on the third one, which is uh, which is British. Uh, how the previous crossovers worked. So, you know, in the toy lines were separate, uh, the comics were separate, the TV shows were separate. Though there is one episode of uh, the animated uh, Transformers where sort of Cobra Commander shows up. In eighty six or eighty seven, the Marvel Marvel was publishing a lot of spinoffs for both of these brands. It was sort of the peak year for that. And there was a four issue uh, G.I. Joe and the Transformers miniseries, which was written by like the assistant editor from Transformers uh, and drawn by Herb Trimpey who'd worked on both of the comics already. And uh, it's pretty stale. Um, it doesn't really feel like G.I. Joe. And as, as like fun and stale as the Transformers comics were, Um, early at Marvel, this series felt a lot like them. In 1992, the G.I. Joe comic was still chugging along and Hasbro was about to bring back Transformers as Transformers Generation 2, which was mostly some previous toys in different colors and the old episodes with some tiny added distractions. Uh, And so uh, the Transformers showed up in four issues of the monthly G.I. Joe comic written by Larry Hama to lead into the new monthly Transformers Generation 2 uh, comic. And those appearances are weird because um, the editors changed, uh, the artists changed, and uh, though Hama brought some sort of like fun, grounded realism to these alien robots, it was also in the middle of like three ongoing G.I. Joe plot lines. And so it it was good, but sort of odd. Um, and then the Joes show up for like three pages a few months later in the monthly Transformers Generation Two uh, comic. Uh, Mark, can you can you spend a moment on the the Action Force and Transformers UK stuff?
1: Yeah, so this was uh, Simon Furman written series, and I think uh, Jeff Jeff Senior art. It originally saw print across. Five issues, um, one issue of the Transformers Weekly and then in four, uh, Action Force Weekly issues and then saw uh, a reprint in the back of Action Force Monthly slash uh, European missions. Uh, and it was, yeah, a I guess probably a more English sensibility. The There's some archeologists uh, who, who explore the Suez be- below London. They find a damaged Megatron and then there is basically a big scrap involving the Action Force team, uh, of course, led by Flint, uh, who, who's always uh, big in these Marvel Action Force weekly stories, uh, along with uh, Blades and Grimlock and this uh, giant robot Centurion chap, and they have a big old scrap
0: the, the the four issue Marvel crossover from eighty six, eighty seven, no one in the monthly G.I. Joe comic ever referred to it before, during, or after. Mm-hmm. And there is one like oblique reference uh in the monthly transformers comic around when that miniseries was being published to the events of that miniseries and uh one transformer does get killed in the miniseries and he's rebuilt and then his new form shows up in the monthly transformers comic after so the term that uh, a fan came up with which i think is really fitting is convergent divergent where the universes are separate until they're not for a moment and then they're separate again so does that uk stuff does it get referred to in either of those continuities after
1: um i doubt it's not not to any important extent i you never know there, there might have been a, an odd throwaway line here or there but um particularly maybe in this ongoing story about um send this centurion character perhaps but um, you know, as you say, sort of probably in in that U- UK Transformers universe, some of the implications of the stories might have, you know, been been ongoing. But in terms of referring back to Action Force and stuff, um, I don't think there was um, anything very sign- significant. So, so yeah, as you say, sort of um, separate, except for this uh, moment when when they when they're not
0: right. Um, also, sorry for context. We should also point out. That at the same time that Devils Do through Image is having a bunch of success with its GI Joe comics, Dreamwave Productions is having a bunch of success with its Transformers comics. Similarly, uh, symbolically launched from that uh, nostalgia article in Wizard magazine, I mean Josh Blaylock and the Devils Do crew showed up to one of the uh, one of the Botcons, one of the Transformers conventions because of this crossover and also the crossover audience. And so around the same time that this first G.I. Joe Transformers crossover is coming from Devil's Due, Dreamwave is publishing its first Transformers G.I. Joe crossover. So uh, as I've said before, this was a good time to be a Joe fan. Uh, Jay, do you got a summary?
2: Okay, plot breakdown. A group of soldiers, including Colonel Clayton Abernathy, Sergeant Lonzo Wilkinson, and the man known as Snake Eyes, have been called upon to provide security for a summit taking place in Washington, D.C., when the summit is attacked by unknown forces with incredible firepower. in the skies above, U.S. Air Forces give chase to the attackers, only to be stunned when one of the enemy fighter planes transforms into a giant robot. As the aerial robots decimate the military's planes, the enemy vehicles on the ground also transform into giant robots. During the battle, the soldier known as Snake Eyes is seriously wounded when one of the robots, Starscream, blows up a Wolverine tank Snake Eyes is standing upon. Before withdrawing from the battlefield, the Unknown assailants blasts one word into the pavement, Cobra. After the battle, Colonel Abernathy is briefed by General Flagg along with Officer Fairborn and Sergeant Burnett. Flagg tells Abernathy he's putting together a team of soldiers specifically dedicated to combat the forces of Cobra, G.I. Joe, and he's picked Abernathy to lead it. Later on Cobra Island, Cobra Commander is faced with two problems. First, he's running out of fuel to power the giant robots, and second, some of the robots are refusing to follow commands. As the Joe team welcomes a now bandaged up Snake Eyes into the fold, Colonel Abernathy attends another meeting with General Flagg, who tells him they know where Cobra is going to strike next. Elsewhere, two cars talk to each other. Back at Cobra Island, as Dr. Mindbender attempts to download information from one of the resistant robots, the robot begins downloading a virus into Cobra's system. Faced with losing their entire system or just one robot, Mindbender pulls the plug, stopping the download, or so he believes. General Flag and Lady J introduce the Joes to a defector from Cobra named Mercer, who tells them that Cobra's giant robots are not man-made, but are actually aliens from another galaxy. Based on Mercer's information, the Joes determine Cobra is planning to hijack a satellite capable of beaming directed solar energy to Earth via microwaves to power their Transformers. Cobra attack the satellite research facility, but are met with resistance from the G.I. Joe team. As two Stinger Jeeps prepare to crash into the building, they are sideswiped by a race car from out of nowhere. Another robot joins the fray, seeming to help the Joes. Cobra escapes, and the two new robots, Wheeljack and Bumblebee, help the Joes decipher a message from the leader of the Resistance robots, Optimus Prime, providing coordinates to their whereabouts. On Cobra Island, the robots have woken up.
1: Okay, that's issues one to three. And then, Tim, you take it away with... a. Uh really summarized version of four to six
0: uh jay's is really well written mine is just bullet points okay two generals we haven't met before show up to take over the mission wheeljack introduces the concept of energon to the joes megatron and optimus prime fight The Joes invade Cobra Island, but the Autobots have already broken free of Cobra control and are fighting the Decepticons there. President George W. Bush uh, launches nuclear missiles at Cobra Island, but Hawk knows that uh, this will cause a reaction with the energon stored there and tear the planet in half. Our heroes stop the nukes. Cobra Commander gets away with Starscream the Autobots head back to Cybertron in an underground base in the American Southwest. Scientists are revealed to be reverse engineering the captured sound wave.
1: Dun, dun, dun to be continued in GI Joe versus Transformers two, I assume.
0: And there, and there are four of them devils. So Mark and Jay, uh, sort of overall top down, uh, what do you think of this miniseries?
2: I read it in two separate parts. I read uh one through three and I loved those. I thought those really fantastic uh, and then uh, later I came back in and read four through six and they were good, but I didn't think they were as great as i as I liked uh, the first three, but there was just a lot of little things that I liked about the first three issues and I especially really liked Miller's artwork in a lot of places. I think one of the big reasons why I never continued with the Marvel run is because I just never thought the artwork was that good. Uh, there was one issue in the first 10 issues that was like uh, a Ratchet standalone issue, I think, that had really nice artwork. It was just him and Spike, I think, was the character's name. Uh, but other than that, I just I never cared a lot for the artwork in the early issues. I really didn't like the artwork in G.I. Joe Transformers, the original one. And it wasn't until, like you said, Dreamwave started uh, doing modern Transformers stories that I ever really thought anybody did a good job capturing the mechanicalness of Transformers. And, and there's some spots in this mini series that I just think are, are fantastic. There's some artwork, you know, some single images that are, are fantastic. I'm definitely going to point out when we, you know, when we kind of get to them. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the artwork in a lot of spots. There's some spots that are rough. And it looks like there's uh, some some spots maybe with Lady J where he's used some Brandon Peterson artwork for uh, reference, which is fine because Peterson's awesome. Yeah, but uh, it was just really interesting to me to think, and especially one thing I wanted to, to ask uh, you guys about was when this was published. I just thought it was a an, an odd choice for Devil's Due and, and Blaylock to be like, hey, let's do a, a, a Transformers G.I. Joe and make it its whole separate thing, and we're going to intimately tie these two properties together as far as their origin stories go i mean if you were to continue this uh this continuity you couldn't really ever separate the transformers out you know and make them their own thing like you said with the marvel run uh, that crossover was mentioned maybe a line here or a line there you just couldn't do that with this because it's too uh, integrated you got snake eyes getting deformed here you got the joe team getting put together it's a lot of stuff that happens uh in this arc Uh, that provides the foundation for the two properties which is an interesting way to go about it i liked it i just thought it was uh, interesting and as far as you know the only other transformers gi joe i ever read was that 87 one i did kind of want to read the jay lee one but i never did so this was an interesting second go-round for gi joe for transformers for me i didn't read the uh the later one in the marvel run because i already stopped reading by then
1: yeah um the the original um, marvel gi joe versus transformers is Probably amongst the the least favourite GI Joe comic. I found it really really hard work to to get through that. So I'm not coming from a place of massive Excited. nostalgia for Elric's <laughs> you know pre established uh, you know high points. I think I've got a few a few really super high uh, high level thoughts. So one positive: Transformers as GI Joe vehicles is pretty cool as a concept that's nice I like that it comes up with some cool you know comes for, for some cool images and ideas it's a, a separate continuity standalone and that's always a harder sell for feeling invested in the story you know if it's a separate you know standalone limited continuity does that mean it, it doesn't matter the art's okay no major objections per se but it's not great not not necessarily a style i'm particularly enamored with and for the most part um the the coloring is bad i would say with some different coloring choices styles um you know a bit more of an animated look to it i think i would have enjoyed it a lot more and the the other real high level is that there is just a lot of cramming in of characters which again talking about you know feeling invested in in the continuity given its limited nature means that you see less of characters and therefore less time to you know feel that kind of empathy empathy with with them um so i think just trying to cram in so much might be nice from a cool factor but from a a a sort of story and feeling factor and and feeling kind of a little bit more emotionally invested in the story i think it, it it detracts tim
0: so um, Blaylock writing an all new continuity is a bold decision that works because rather than worry about, sort of as a reader, rather than me worry about, okay, well, th- you know, let's say this was in the then current Devil's Do publishing continuity or in sort of a nebulous, uh, like animated, Marvel devils do composite continuity and getting distracted by sort of, you know, who knows what, like, oh, is Snake Eyes with Scarlet or is Scarlet kind of with Duke? Um, We're just seeing this all for the first time. Pages two and three of issue one, so this double page splash of Cobra Commander with several Cobra soldiers behind him, finding the Ark is uh, one of the most dramatic images of G.I. Joe mythology that Devils do ever created. And sadly, it's this pocket continuity that doesn't exist anymore and doesn't, quote, matter. Mark's right, having uh, Transformers as Cobra vehicles is really uh, fun and upsetting, right? Like the the Autobots, uh, and to a lesser extent, the Decepticons have been violated here because they've been taken over by Cobra mentally they can't control themselves they're just automatons in the cobra army right the Autobots have to do bad things because they're now tools of the villain army but also they, their bodies have been rebuilt right so there's an element of uh, of violation and body horror here uh which i'm i'm reading into the story that is not really presented in the story which is a missed opportunity but to make the Transformers part of the GI Joe origin, right? There's there's this line in issue one where uh, Stalker says, "We're not equipped for this," as these reconfiguring vehicles attack some fancy outdoor event where the sort of proto Joes are um, pulling guard duty. It's it's really powerful. I think Jay's right. The first three issues are are great, and the final three issues are okay. Um, and and I agree with Mark about the art. I think. Mike S. Miller does a good job on all the Joes, and his storytelling uh, is clear. There's there's two or three panels that are just major major duds at the end of the story. I don't think Miller is. I think he's comfortable drawing the Transformers, but I don't think he has sort of figured them out yet. Because you know he draws them accurately, and he draws sort of their you know their poses make sense. But there's there's something missing in sort of the verve, the dynamism of their poses uh, in their heft, and to a lesser extent, that challenge I was saying before about drawing a bunch of very big things in the same scenes as some smaller things, you know, thirty and 80 foot tall characters, along with five and six foot tall characters. Uh, the two extra issues does give this a lot more room as compared to, say the original four issues from 1986. But I think what a story like this needs is to start on a smaller scale. I think it needs to sort of in disguise start as a solo book. I think it needs to be about one Joe and one Autobot or one Cobra and one Decepticon for half an issue and then open up to like more characters on one in one faction. And then, you know, issue two, issue three open up to the larger conflict. And, you know, it's not until the Tom Scioli uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe that did 12 issues, right? But that's that's a bonkers story. So that's not even a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, Hasbro or Devil's Do or Image in 2003 had any reasonable faith that this could carry 12 issues. But there's enough characters and there could be enough story that it actually needs more than six issues.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with those points, particularly about starting small and then growing um you know they they sort of start big and try and make it bigger yeah which which sort of just loses your uh, kind of I guess entry point in and con- connecting with with a particular character or you know it it's it's a bit like the the movie where they're just throwing everything at it and moving super quick and and you just don't know where there, there's no kind of resting points as you were talking about issue 1 i was sort of started flicking through that and one thing that you know is is a detractor for for me is the snake eyes origin i like i like a part of it i like the the fact that they're playing with this this joke that they're calling snake eyes a chatterbox and he's not talking because it's part of a of a of a bet that's going you know, to quite a fun kind of story aspect but the actual scene itself of him being shot at by, is it Starscream? And it hits the Wolverine tank, but it completely misses Snake Eyes. It goes in between his leg and sets fire to his hat. It's, a, I think being direct, a bad panel um, and particularly weighing it up against the original Snake Eyes origin story and, and you know, that we know by this this point. it's It's a difficult comparison at the best time. But, but uh, to have such an important panel being carried off as, as badly as, as it is here, it's uh, unfortunate.
2: So he gets disfigured here, and, and then it's after this that he has surgery to become Asian? Is that <laughs> that <laughs> I don't think he's
1: works. Asian in this book, is he? I don't know. I
2: don't know. We don't see him afterward.
0: Jay, Jay is, for our listeners, uh, Jay is saying this uh, one day <laughs> after advanced <laughs> tickets for the Snake Eyes movie. Have gone on sale. Um, when, I, I, I this, <laughs> when I read this, when I read this, I was struck by how the issues don't end on cliffhangers, even very small ones. And Is reading it just kind it, of stop. Yeah, reading. Uh, I read. I, think I, said, I guess I, I sort of read. Uh, I read them all within a day, um, and it reads very much like a graphic novel that has been cut up into 22 page chapters Mm. and published as six different issues, which is, is fine on its own. Um, But you know, when I got to the end of issue uh, two or issue three, um, you know, like the scene sort of stops and then there's an ad on the next page and I turn the page and there's two more ads. I turn the page and there's two more ads. And I thought, Oh, and considering how, you know, 1980s and 1980s, like, cartoonish, the stakes are at the end of the story, right? Like, the island's gonna blow up, the planet's gonna blow up, there are nukes. I think uh, Blaylock does uh, a disservice to the, like, creating excitement and anxiety in the reader and buyer to, like, come back the next month and buy the next issue in not having even like small little cliffhangers at the end of each issue. It could just be like one little blurb of dialogue, or um, I think it was issue two or issue three, where it's like, just have like add one panel where like some other character shows up, you know, and someone turns and they're like, oh no, it's you. So I wonder if this was written sort of just sort of that much more with the graphic novel in mind and Um, My preference with uh, collections of comics is that the covers get reprinted every 20 or 22 pages with the original issues. And for Mm. several years, like Marvel's reprint department and for a couple years, DC's reprint department would like inconsistently do a collection and shove all the covers at the back, which I didn't like um, because it feels like a weird mismatch. Um, and I sort of wondered for, for the person reading this story in the paperback collection, I guess later there was a like hardcover of all four of the crossovers. I thought, well, in this case, it actually probably would read better if you read the whole story slammed together and then all the covers get lumped in the back, particularly since the covers are mostly just pinups and that can sort of like lead you out of this world as you finish reading your book. But you know me, I like, I like cliffhangers.
1: Uh, that's how i read it i mean in in the um omnibus format um and as you say sort of the the delineation between issues not super clear and all of the covers stuck at the back
0: aha um another sort of top-down comment i had here is so mike s miller uh, he did some design work, I believe, for Ultimate X Men. I think he did some character design when that comic launched in 2000, and he did like a couple covers for Marvel um, at that time. And you know, he's he's drawing in this early 2000s slick style. It, it's not, you know, he's not like a, a, a Jim Lee clone to me. He's not a J. Scott Campbell clone to me, and and I can't quite place. What his influences uh, might be, but it does feel, you know, it's it's the modern, like, uh, speaking of artists who drew two issues of Ultimate X Men, um, Ben Lai and Ray Lai, it sort of looks like this, like, slick, hot, you know, it's not exaggerated like Joe Matarera, uh, but it does feel of a piece with what Devil Stew was doing with its regular G.I. Joe book at the time. And issue one is. Solid and exciting, and I do like the inks in issue one more than. Sorry to Corey Hampshire, I think the inks in issue one are uh, a better fit than the rest of the inks in the series. Um, more more thick lines, but when I read issue one, I thought, "Oh, I wish this guy had drawn the opening arc for Devil's Due. I wish he had drawn reinstated." Because he's he can he can do more things better than. Steve Kurth could at that time two years earlier than this so it's, it's not it's not really a fair comparison but uh you know all the choreography um you know Miller still likes likes like a lot of artists uh like some Brandon Beddow and like some uh Tim Seeley uh, a lot of times his horizon line is a little too high like when when uh, Mutt and Quick Kick are running in issue three I think he could get more drama out of some panels if he put the camera a little lower and tipped it up um but you know like he draws all the vehicles uh convincingly um like you know the the one thing that i don't uh, the one thing that I, that I really don't like about how Micus Miller draws this series is uh in the final three or so issues lady j is in her sort of gi joe costume mm-hmm. and uh her shirt or jacket is this like bare midriff version mm-hmm which is sexy and exciting, but like, like, don't, don't do that.
2: (laughs) Doesn't really fit with her character or the,
0: or the series. Right. It's like, I mean, I guess, I guess quick kicks shirt gets like torn off him and he's shirtless for the rest of his appearance. So I guess there's some (laughs) parody there, but like, like, it's like, no quick kick is Bruce Lee. He doesn't wear a shirt. That's his costume. Mm -hmm. But lady J, no, she wears a shirt and pants.
1: Yeah, she's in she's introduced as like an intelligence officer, you know, and it's all smart in her uniform and and kind of having done the, the <laughs> yeah. detailed background and analysis uh and then and then we flip forward and and she's, you know, trying to dress up like Daisy Duke from Dukes of Hazard. What it, what ah,
2: Lady Duke.
0: But to give Lady to give credit <laughs> to give credit to Miller uh uh in in one last place in issue two, uh, I, I think Jay's Jay's bit in um, the plot breakdown about two cars talk to each other. <laughs> um, uh, the scene where uh, Bumblebee just and comes Wheeljack, out of nowhere, but uh, Bumblebee and Wheeljack are talking to each other in vehicular mode, and I forget. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Transformers fans. I forget what kind of car Wheeljack is. Alanza Racing, something, something.
2: But I never knew what kind of car Wheeljack was.
0: He's a, he's a real car, uh, but <laughs> in that scene, uh, Miller draws a great. VW Bug, and a Great real
1: jack. I'll, I'll just point out as well that, that although I say that Lady J is introduced as an intelligence officer, it doesn't sound like she's a very good one. Uh, from from this introductory bit, she, she says, <laughs> Nice to meet you, Colonel. I've been investigating the Cobra organization for over a year now, in cooperation with both the FBI and CIA, looking for ties to world leaders, front companies, you name it. Part of our job was assessing the threat level, which obviously we couldn't have fathomed would be this dangerous, so, your main job is to assess the threat level, and your conclusion was they weren't very dangerous. Um, so, you're going to take the lead, obviously. So, so, maybe she is better off just sort of tying herself up. <laughs>
0: um, Let's in, fail up, Lady J. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms, so here's some things that this series, uh, here's a thing the series gets right and a thing the series gets wrong. Destro's introduction and his handling, I really like. He's not mentioned by name uh the first two times they just call him the arms dealer and when he shows up uh there's some anticipation he has a different relationship you know like in the cartoon he's just sort of a nebulous like second in command but that's not that's not what he does you know here unfortunately in the comic uh firefly and zartan are just two more random cobra Mm -hmm. guys they don't do anything different one's not a saboteur one's not a master of disguise we get a little bit of storm shadow
2: being a a missed opportunity Right, which is why this really needs four more issues. But Hey, uh, quick then, question. Let me throw this in here. Do you think Zartan can change into a Transformer? <laughs>
0: uh, it depends on if he's using hologram technology yeah. or costumes. It depends on what continuity this is leaning on. Um,
2: like maybe and, one of those no, small ones, the tapes that come out of Soundwave? He could be one of those guys.
0: When Destro does finally show up, how he's calm and collected... How he's impressed and inspecting the merchandise you know these these alien robots that have been um, taken over by cobra i think that's a great scene and it works really well the thing that i don't like about this series it gets it gets close so the autobots and decepticons have been turned into cobra vehicles and so when the vehicles initially show up we're just seeing like stingers and ferrets stuns hisses uh rattlers and a night raven when they transform, it's it's sort of a new body that's just sort of the colors of that Cobra vehicle with like an Autobot's head or a mm-hmm. Decepticon's head on it. And in terms of design, that falls flat for me. And uh, I don't know if Miller did all the designs himself or a couple of the other artists that Devils do were like figuring stuff out before Miller started drawing issue number one. But I think what this really needed was when, for example, one of the stingers transforms into, uh, I guess it's Sideswipe, I need i need a little bit in that stinger, I need like a little bit of color, like a little bit of yellow if it's uh, um, Sunstreaker, or a little bit of red if it's Sideswipe. And then when it transforms into a robot, I need it to be a little different from the neck down to say Sideswipe and a little different from the neck down to say Sunstreaker. And that might just be like a couple panels of color. It might be a slightly differently shaped arm or leg. But what we have is like sort of generic Cobra stinger as a robot from neck to feet. And then like plop, uh, Sunstreaker or Sideswipe's head on it. You know, similarly, like, you know, they spent some time figuring out Optimus Prime I guess he's, he's a red hiss who transforms into yep. Optimus Prime. But I need a few more cues for the, for the robot characters. You know, it's like if you're one of the Seeker jets, uh, you have a cockpit in the middle of your chest. If you're Optimus Prime, you have some kind of windows or windshields or squares on your chest, even if they're skinny chairs or uh, uh, squares or something. So in terms of design, I needed this series to go a step further.
1: And I think going by the bonus material at the back of my book, it it, it looks like probably um Miller did do most of the design him, himself. And I think to be fair, if that is the is is the case and it's just a standard comics gig, you know, that's an awful lot of design to be doing as part of a yes. A, a, yes. A regular, you know, a regular penciling job. Um it's yeah figuring out a, a sort of robot, a new robot mode, a in between transformation look, you know, that's it's not an easy task, um, particularly if if it if it's just on, on the basis of a standard page rate as as well, without ex, lots of extra payment and time to be and, doing all of the designing. You know, that and, that's gonna be a team of you know, would it be in, in the Hasbro's hands, that would be a, a team of people um over many iterations and many months, wouldn't it?
0: And I don't think Miller had ever drawn Transformers comics, which is its own particular challenge. The guys at IDW, before that, at Dreamwave, some of the Marvel guys, um, drawing Transformers, it's its its particularly hard. It's, it's harder than drawing Conan or Daredevil or Black Panther.
2: This guy hadn't done Transformers before?
0: Hmm, no wow
2: see that's what i thought his strong suit was was the machinery and stuff like that like i'm looking through number one uh the big splash page where the hiss comes out of the the truck that's awesome first of all it's running people over i'm like yeah but so that was really (laughs) cool but like like look at the detail around the turret of the hiss tank and just little stuff like that i thought that was awesome Um, i don't think the wolverine tank has ever looked better uh, the first panel where you got the planes are flying, and then I think it's Ace on the very last panel of page like 14 or 15 is like, you know, basically, what the hell is that? And then you turn the page, and boom, there's your first full shot of a robot. I was like, holy cow. I mean, to me, uh, his yeah, I assumed that he'd been drawing Transformers before, because I was kind of like... Well, obviously, you know, he's a Transformers artist. He's really good at this. This is his strong suit. The people, I thought, were kind of weak at times. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I thought that his machinery and stuff was really good.
1: Like that shot you were talking about of the hisses coming out of the Arbco vans. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that looks cool for the most part, but the people, the protesters kind of let it down it's like yeah everything's a little flat everything in kind of, the perspective but... is a bit weird and that that girl down the front in, in the bottom left hand corner of the page that looks like she's about to be run over you know and <laughs> stretching out you know what what is going on there it's sort of weird Eight, tangent, they got her in mid yoga yeah and you know just sort of design the look and the feel of a of a, cr- a protesting crowd just doesn't kind of ring ring true yeah
2: they're not dirty enough
1: there's one guy guy and pete
2: nicks
0: Nicks. (laughs) um miller so uh in issue six the series i'm jumping to the end i don't know in issue six miller makes a couple choices which i don't think work when uh on the page where um cobra commander is talking to uh Starscream, and then there's a there's a big panel of Megatron sort of running at us, and uh, it's not it's not a splash panel because it's it's still one two three four there's still four panels on the page, but Megatron's very big on this page, and um, his arm sort of breaks back into panel one, and his leg and his other arm break into panel three, and then the actual like. The actual story choreography of this page happens in panel three where he like stops himself short he like puts on the brakes because he sees something and megatron says what what is this supposed to be and then the next panel we see uh, a lineup of joes holding just regular machine guns and uh duke says you're not going anywhere pal and we don't see megatron and the joes together and it's like wait are are there like several vehicles behind the joes because I don't know. I don't know why this should like scare Megatron, or I don't. I don't know why the Joe should feel confident. Um, so this is a place where, and this happens a couple times in this final issue, and once or twice in the whole series, where Miller, in that sort of modern comics way, picks a panel to be much bigger than the rest, so he can draw a character full size facing forward. I think so that that page will sell better as original art, because it's not a panel. It's not a page of like hands and shoulders and like uh like the backs of people's heads right so then uh three pages later uh optimus prime shows up right uh megatron's getting shot by the by the joes he's saying no no you can't you can't do this to me ah and then prime says megatron and it's just this giant panel of prime standing there and like i don't know where he came from there wasn't a previous panel (laughs) of him driving up as a red his tank so you know it's supposed to be a surprise it's supposed to be a reveal but Prime's just standing there. He doesn't, like, have his... It, just, there's no pose, like, he's getting ready. And then there are, uh, there are two panels uh, in this final issue, uh, one page later. Um, I talked about this before in this podcast where sometimes when artists have someone kicking straight towards the camera, it is an incredibly unsatisfying bit of foreshortening because you just have this, like, bottom of a foot And it's very small uh, and that really needs to be like angled outwork it outward if not in profile so a page after so two pages after this big reveal of optimus prime there's this pretty good fight between prime and megatron and then there's this big sound effect uh crab boom as prime is kicking megatron and it's just this like medium gray rectangle which is the bottom of prime's foot it's like what a terrible. i'm sorry i'm sorry mike s miller just it's not a good drawing it's it's not like there's no impact. There's no there's no oomph to this like prime kicking Megatron. It, it happens it happens elsewhere in the issue where uh oh a page earlier where um uh, Megatron's about to step on Duke and uh it just crops so oddly, like all I see is this gray rectangle of Megatron's foot, and I sort of can't tell uh, what we're looking at. So uh, I I think I think Miller may have been little rushed for the final issue or uh or the story is just sort of getting harder because a lot's getting crammed into the final uh, couple of issues
1: mm.
2: i thought for sure that one panel that you were talking about where um uh the the joes are all standing in front of cobra commander and they've all got their guns that was what the bottom of one page i thought for sure we were going to turn the page and they were just going to be blasting megatron like completely to pieces like they like um bumblebee in the marvel one i thought that's kind of what we were going we were going to have a, a throwback to that and um i didn't realize that this was not ending so i was kind of like ah oh, this is it they're gonna blast megatron the end and then uh, no he gets away
0: <laughs> okay here's here's something else uh that didn't quite work for me in terms of a story beat snake eyes is fighting starscream and he shoves a grenade in Starscream's eye, and then yeah. Starscream like falls off a cliff. That page, sorry, I have it somewhere in my notes. Let's, let's pretend it's issue it's five. Four, five. Yep. That, that's cool. You know, it's like, ah, oh, Snake Eyes can take down an entire Decepticon. That page lacks closure. And when I got to the final panel of that page, I was expecting to see the word boom either as a sound effect from, like, off-panel, like, oh, Starscream fell out of view, and that grenade goes off in his face, and he's unconscious, or he's dead, or we actually see it happen. But instead, he just sort of falls, and then you keep reading the next page, and it's like, wait, what, was, what happened to the grenade? And then in issue six, uh, Cobra Commander is fleeing the island, and he runs around a corner, and he sees, sort of crashed into this, like, the bottom of a waterfall, Starscream, and except for the weird linkage with that grenade that doesn't make sense, uh, I like the idea that they need to strike a bargain with each other. Cobra Commander says, I need to get out of here, and Starscream says, well, I can't get this tiny grenade out of my eye because my fingers are too big, so I'll fly you out of here. I like that, but wait, did Snake Eyes put a dud grenade in Starscream's eye? If so, like, I feel like that should be a bigger deal. Like, wouldn't Starscream have, like, turned around, wouldn't Snake Eyes have turned around and, like, gone back down there and shoved another grenade in his (laughs) eye? Or if the point of this is, like, it's it's perched so that if Starscream moves too much or blinks, I know he can't blink, then, like, the grenade goes off, then, like, that should be a scene where Snake Eyes is, like, walking away, sort of all, like proud like i sure showed that alien robot and then starscream's like i can't move otherwise the bomb will go off and instead it's just this weird like i, do, I don't understand it's it's mm-hmm. like it's missing something
1: yeah he slashed his eye put a grenade in there and then did a ninja kick at him so that he fell off of the uh the waterfall <laughs> and uh starscream can't fly in his robot mode because you know that hasn't been established before um and and so we'd just fall because that's what robots do, right? Um, but but yeah, I, I guess is it a dud or is it is it that you know the grenades, not the, not the way it's been drawn here. A grenade would have that handle on it, which would then ping off. Um, and maybe that handle has been trapped by the by the eye. But yeah, that's sort of reading into it because it's it's not been drawn that way.
0: You mentioned that Starscream can't fly in robot mode, which reminds me. Although this is a new continuity, um, as the regular Devils Do comic borrows from the TV continuity and the Marvel Comics continuity, uh, this is is very much the animated Transformers continuity because um, Megatron has his special purple hand replacement weapon, Uh, Ironhide speaks with a a, a scratchy Southern American accent, Uh, and if this is the animated continuity then in fact the decepticons could fly in robot mode but yeah, I'm, I, okay, I'm okay i was with being them.
1: sarcastic by the way <laughs> tim it was may it maybe was not established that Starscream could uh, fly in his robot mode but um yeah jay was talking earlier about uh the rattler um transformer um, whoever that is um was was had a nice big splashy page of the right. midair um in in robot mode
0: okay thank you yes how do you guys how do you guys feel about the the nuclear threat of the story the stakes and the the this idea that like the decision is taken out of hawk's hands
1: i i get it but it's it's weird in terms of the way they handle it right That. They just seem to kind of give up on the idea that there might be a way of stopping the nuclear attract, attack and they just have to get out there and fight and disobey orders anyway, rather than pointing out um, to anyone that, that, that it's going to be bad news. Um, so they find out that that the nuclear attack will uh, set off these energon cubes and blow up half the earth or whatever it is, but they don't seem to tr- attempt to alert anybody who could make a decision to 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 that peril and in particular i don't know there's a scene with flag and i don't know if he's in the same room as the president or if he's eavesdropping it's it's not clear from the storytelling initially when i was reading it i thought he was in the same room as the as the president and you know if that is the case why wouldn't he make an effort to, to intervene and say look maybe maybe if you if you do that nuclear thing, it will blow up half the world because of this energon. So possibly not the best idea. Um, that was the main detracting factor for me is that that they seem to give up very easily on the idea of do, of being able to actually just not attack, you know, just not drop the nuclear bomb.
2: I almost feel like the whole, uh, oh, we have to stop or they're going to nuke the site is a, a kind of something that's done too often, you know, in a lot of different things, but You know, when I think about it, I mean, just sitting here thinking about it, you know, while Mark's talking, I was like, well, what else would we do? If we were faced, or if our government or our world were kind of faced with this sort of threat, you know, if the robots had came out and they were just so much more insanely powerful than any of our militaries, and they were clearly a threat, if we had them all in one spot, we knew they were all there, I wouldn't necessarily say... Don't nuke that island, but it does kind of feel like this is just something that, that 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 writers always go back to. It's like, what are we going to do? Well, what's the worst thing we can do? What's the you know? And then somebody's got to got a perp in it. How many movies, TV shows, books can we go back through and look and say, oh, we're going to nuke this? Well, we have to get out before the nuke comes, or we have to stop this, or whatever. But uh, you know, like I said, it's it's the greatest offensive threat that we have, and it would be used to stop what what would be considered a, a possibly a, a greater threat I don't know it, you know our, our transformers as a whole as a collective uh, as a species is that more dangerous to us from a uh, from an uninformed standpoint that we're willing to nuke something mm-hmm. I mean I, I kind of feel like maybe we would but also you know like I said story wise it seems like that's something that's overdone
0: I think part of the my challenge with the nuclear threat is that, Jay, what you just said, like, what would we actually do? I agree. I think even though it's overused in storytelling, I think the stakes might actually get this high this fast.
2: Yeah, it's like, and, what other option do you have?
0: But in terms of this story, it's not earned. And as a comparison... Um, I want to just draw everyone's attention to a 12-issue Transformers miniseries that IDW published about 10 years ago, called All Hail Megatron, which uh, was several years into the Transformers continuity. But it it was also, if you wanted to see it as sort of a like a soft reboot, it was it was sort of a soft reboot. And in that series, Megatron conquers Earth, and. It's, it's sort of the, the stakes that we had always imagined in previous Transformers storytelling, comics and cartoons, where, like, no, just one of these robots could, like, destroy half a city. And, you know, all we have is tanks and planes. Um, and, like, where are the Autobots? Where are the Autobots? And um, that series, I forget what issue it is, but a couple issues into it, uh, the six Constructicons transform and merge into Devastator. And he, like, I think it's San Francisco. I think he reveals himself in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. I haven't read it since it came out, so forgive me if, I've, if I'm misremembering, but he does tremendous damage. And he's, like, three times taller than, you know, Megatron and Soundwave. You know, the, the threat in, the, in this six-issue miniseries from Devil's Due, like, it's, it's established in issue one where, you know, there's this protest and there's, I don't know, like 20 or 60, like, guys in green, men and women in green, who are who are guarding uh, this event. And these, you know, these these vehicles transform and do a little bit of damage really, really fast. I think part of why a story like this has to start smaller with, like, one Joe and one Autobot, or one Cobra and one Decepticon, and build out is because any one Transformer is actually enough of a worry that I think realistically the government would be like, man, should we nuke them? And for the story to like, it, two issues in, it's like, oh man, Reflector is here, right? Like if, if, if you all don't remember Reflector uh, in the cartoon, he's the, the three Decepticons who transform into a camera.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: the G.I. Joe and Transformers crossovers that IDW and Dreamwave did around this time all suffered from the writers feeling the need to, or the publishers telling the writers to include everyone because it's so cool. And then what you have is like, Firefly gets like three panels to do something. Storm Shadow gets two scenes to do something, you know? And so it's it's. I feel like it's disproportionate because the logic is like, oh man, these alien robots teamed up with this terrorist organization. I think we should fire the nukes, but it's also like, they haven't actually done that much damage are you sure you need to fire the nukes and so to mark's point it's like why isn't anyone talking them out of using the nukes they haven't it's not like they like it's not like the cobra and the decepticons like sawed florida off and sank it they just like attacked like two little things and so this is why you need more issues you need few fewer characters and then also the bigger stakes it's sort of the the arrangement of, of of um assets is out of proportion and you know there's a fifth faction that i didn't even call out you have joe and cobra autobots and decepticons and then you have the brass you have these these three or four or five generals and the president and realistically they would show up in a gi joe story on this scale but i very rarely want to see them in a gi joe story it's like i want gi joe to handle this kind of thing on their own uh you know it's like is it Superman 3, which has the president? But uh, is it Man of Steel and Batman v. Superman, Dawn of Justice, where we don't see the president. We just see, like, sort of the highest-ranking, like, army guy? Because, you know, I don't want to be reminded of, like, actual politics and the actual Joint Chiefs of Staff. I want the Joes, or, like, Superman, to, like, solve this problem on their own. I, you know, I don't I don't, I don't want the story to get
2: too big. In a we way. needed a scene of Condi Rice going... Mr. President, let's let's settle down on those nukes. Uh, yeah, I feel like I, there'd I, be one person in the White House that was a little bit, a uh, little, 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 little level-headed, and that, that might have been her. Yeah, as she much as I said, uh, as, as their cowboy,
0: as much as I don't want like a bunch of generals showing up, and then the president, like logic dictates, we might need to see them in this particular story. But Jay, you make a great point. I, I don't mean this in a in a really damning way, but this story is sort of rushed. You know, like, it it happens really fast. And, you know, so, like, the stuff with the president and this escalation happens really fast. The same way that Snake Eyes' origin happens really fast. But you compare the pathos of Snake Eyes' origin in issues 26 and 27 of the Marvel run, and that it had already been leaning on one or two references to his face, and the fact that he didn't talk, and the fact that he was so loyal. And you have this, like, emotional... Uh, this emotional heft to it and so when it happens here it's sort of like it's just sort of fun but a little um empty like oh yeah blaylock's doing his version of the snake Eyes origin in three panels because the decepticons like okay cool
1: yeah what just coming back to my point about flag earlier on where where do you think he was in the room where it happened with the president
0: what issue is this this is
1: five yeah five. Five. there's there's a, a There's a shot of the Pentagon. Uh, There's a bunch of sort of generals sat around the table. To be perfectly honest, sir, the decision decision should be a simple one. You think that choice of whether or not to to nuke an island in the Caribbean should be simple? Have you considered the fallout? We could wind up irradiating the lower half of Florida. It's not a decision we have to afford to hesitate on, sir. And the matter should end there. Uh, Etc. And then, and then there's a shot in the bottom right hand corner of General Flag. You can tell it's Flag because he has a badge on him that says Flag, Um, (laughs) wearing his trademark sunglasses. Um, And and then the the word word balloon is is like a kind of radio box, and he's got an earpiece. So so it's it's a bit confusing. Is he is he listening in on that conversation somehow, or or has he got in contact with the Joes? I I couldn't quite work. So there's a
0: There's a uh, one of those phones in the middle of the table for conference calls. Uh So he may be supposed to be in on the meeting, but his body language here does sort of imply that he's and there. You know, like he's definitely in a different room because there's a there's uh, his name is Flag and he's standing in front of a flag. Um, uh, this this is not a case where uh, he's in the room. I think, but Miller. Didn't pull the camera back enough to show him in the room. I think this is a case where he is somewhere else completely, and Miller and Blaylock don't give enough room for us to know where that is. Yeah. Um, okay, so may, is, you know, maybe
1: he's yeah dialed in to the teleconference where they're talking about this you nuclear know, attack, and just does not see fit to you know speak up and mention a little fact, a little tidbit that might be handy to know in the decision-making process, which is that. If they do pull the trigger, they will blow up half the world. You know, it could could be useful to share that.
0: Um, Something else which um, I I think where the, you know, Jay talked about the first three issues versus the final three issues. I think where it is less effective for me, the plot in the final three issues is that this orbiting satellite can charge energon cubes. And that feels very much like the super simple writing logic of the first season of the Transformers cartoon, which was which was written for younger viewers as compared to the episodes that came two years later after the movie. Like the producers specifically changed that show and hired a different story editor. And you know, you watch the early the first season and to some extent the second season of Transformers and uh, the pacing's a little slow, and they're always just talking about energy, you know, mm-hmm. like like ah, we will turn the ruby crystals of Burma into energy. Like I, I don't know how I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, it's like do you eat it? Do you like mash it up and then you eat it? Do you like push it yeah. into a cube and you plug it in to your arm?
1: I think that's so, my abiding memory of the of the cartoon because I've not gone and watched anything apart from not gone and rewatched anything apart from the the movie. Is so, of just giant piles of energy being produced, and I guess coming out of Soundwave's chest. Does that yes, sound right?
0: Yes, that's he makes the empty ones, and then they can fill it. That's very much season one. There's less of that in season two, and I think basically none of that in season three. But you know, by issue five, I feel like the integration of the alien robots and the terrorist organization, which works so well in issue one with this reveal. Like my God, Cobra has the Decepticons and the Autobots like it's so upsetting it's so compelling and then in issue 5 you have sort of the grounded scene where Snake Eyes takes on S- 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 uh, Starscream which is like a cool badass uh Snake Eyes scene even though the, the final bit with the grenade in the eye doesn't work for me and in the issues 5 and 6 you have Prime like being a hero and fighting Megatron which is something that we want to see but You know, there's this page in Issue 5 where the satellite's shooting down energy, and there's a silhouette of Bumblebee seeing the energy come into the Cobra Island, and then there's some energon cubes, and I feel like here Blaylock is leaning too much on the animated continuity from 84 and 85, that, you know, you have this sort of, this, like, MacGuffin science. It's like, a satellite can make energy, and, like, the the Transformers will like consume the energon cubes somehow, and it's never shown. Although there's a there's a Bumblebee reference where he says, "I'm gonna bathe in it," and then like the next page, like the Constructicons form Devastator, and Devastator, like I said before, like it, it wasn't even in the All Hail Megatron miniseries. It's in the animated movie in '86, and it's in season one when Devastator is like too much for even the Dinobots to handle. Uh, Devastator merges here and he shoots Hound and then some uh, Joes and Autobots start attacking him. And then like a couple pages later, they seem to have defeated him. So I think where the final three issues uh, fizzle for me is there's sort of an inconsistent like scale of power and like how I want the the like power of a human character and the power of a robot character fighting one another or two robots fighting each other and the ingenuity of the humans to stop it, it sort of thins out. I think the first three issues offer more complexity and there's still some great character stuff. I think Mindbender is great in the final three issues. You know, he like mutters to himself that Firefly got away and he's like upset that he's a captive. Um, The stuff I mentioned about Destro, but, I feel like the first three issues, it's a little bit more like uh, a comic book. And the second three issues, it's a little bit more like episodes of the the cartoon.
2: I had a question about some of the Destro stuff. Starting at the very beginning, didn't Cobra Commander or somebody make a reference about... Like someone pointed them in the direction of the arc, maybe. Okay, so then they go and they find the Transformers and then... Like they're trying to reverse engineer the technology and they make the snake armor suits and stuff. Uh, and then Destro comes and they're trying to sell the Transformers to him. And I was like, well, who tipped him off in the first place? Because I felt like there was a line of dialogue where uh, they made it sound like Destro had told him, yeah, you know, uh, go, go here, find this, get these things. Um, but then later it was like they were trying to sell stuff to Destro. And I'm like, well, you got that wrong. Destro sells stuff to Cobra, not the other way around. I don't know. There's just some confusion there for me with, uh, how it started and where, where they came from, what, uh, you know, uh, there was a big part in, in the, in the original a series where Serpentor had taken over and it was like, all of a sudden his primary focus becomes selling Terror Drones. And it's like, well, Cobra's not like a, marketing thing you know they don't uh, they, they don't sell arms they they use them that's not uh, so i was just kind of confused mm-hmm. about that uh I, I
0: i will admit uh mark i'm gonna pass this to you i may <laughs> not, I, I maybe didn't read the issues quite carefully enough to answer jay's question about destro's involvement can you can you handle this one
1: uh can i anyone I bueller
0: don't, i don't bueller.
2: no i don't know that i
1: cared enough to be honest properly understand it i don't i don't know that page really under- really explained page
0: four of issue one cobra commander says uh oh page uh, baroness says it looks like the arms trafficker was right cobra commander and cobra commander yeah. says that it does baroness do you have anything to add based on your conversation with the scotsman
2: Okay, so are the arms trafficker and the Scotsman two different people?
1: Destro's Scottish, isn't he?
2: Yeah.
0: No, the arms trafficker is Destro.
2: So they're. So yeah, then Destro told him to go there. Yeah. And find the Autobots and transfer. Right.
0: I think I think the idea here is that because Cobra Commander has Doctor Mindbender, he he's doing the initial reverse engineering. Just as Cobra, and then he's going to either like sell it to Destro or bring Destro in to like do the second pass or like to integrate it more into what Mars does. I I agree with you that it it um, could maybe be clearer, but I also think some of this is um, keeping it a little oblique because it's like you know I I certainly don't need a zero. Uh, a zero issue. Yeah. Destro is like an archaeologist. and He's like, I found a spaceship. Let me tell Cobra Commander. You know, like it's enough that like Cobra, Cobra Commander just finds them.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm flicking flicking through it, and it's sort of, I guess, the implications are, are that Cobra, you know, Cobra, the kind of the brains behind the the reverse engineering and creating these these robots and the the snakes and so on. And it's um, Destro is the Arms dealer, and he's got the connections to 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 be able to connect in with the clients who are then willing to actually buy the things. So it's kind of separation. Perhaps I of, liked it.
2: Like I said, I, I don't want to, I don't want anybody to think that I didn't enjoy it. I really did. I liked that. That I liked it a lot. Just you know, a couple little dialogue um, spots that that one, confused one, me.
1: One thing that I kind of noticed as I was going through this is is that it's it's kind of pitched as its own separate. Continuity and you know not wedded to to anything else, but it very much uses the Devil's Due redesigns, particularly for for some of those more recognisable characters like and major, major blood, Gung Ho, Flint, you know, uh, even uh, Mind Bender to to a degree. <laughs> so so it's kind of you know it's own its own thing, but it's 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 also def- it's definitely leaning into the Devil's Due continuity in terms of the the look, um, and one thing that I found a little bit interesting or strange was this this parallel uh, appearance of Mercer that almost simultaneously that he's being inter- reintroduced in a couple of panels in uh, in the main book to help to uh, help the Cobra uh, to help GI Joe sort of invade Cobra Island again in this one he's uh, sort of introduced over a couple of panels where he you know lets in. G.I. Joe with on the, a little secret about uh, the Transformers and and helping them to get to, to again to Cobra Island. Um, it, yeah, clearly I
0: didn't. I didn't like that.
1: <laughs> clearly, um, uh, Blaylock has got an itch to scratch about using this this character, and he's able to accomplish it in in almost exactly the same way twice.
0: I've got a formatting question, Mark, for you. You've got the hardcover omnibus in mm-hmm. front of you. Um, in issue one, uh, there's the double page splash um, halfway through where Optimus Prime has transformed and he's holding the Baroness. There's like a yellow sky behind him.
1: Oh yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh.
0: Okay. When you turn back one page on the right side, you see the Baroness and Cobra Commander, and then Optimus Prime transforming. Yep. What do you see on the left side?
1: Uh, it is a. Uh... One of the planes in robot mode, maybe Star Scream. One of the others, actually no, it's not. It's the uh, the Rattler one. So the Rattler one appears on the prior page to that as a one-page splash. The, it's, a, it's a Rattler Decepticon in robot mode up against a jet. Uh, one-page splash. Turn the page. Top half of the page. It's then the robot punching that plane.
0: Okay. Sorry, because um, in the, in the I, I've got the single issues in front of me. And the on the left side, where Baroness is talking to Cobra Commander and the Optimus Prime is transforming, is a full-page ad for issue number two. And in, in terms of formatting, uh, artists and, and editors need to keep track of what's on the left page and what's on the mm-hmm. right page. Because if you have a two-page splash, and then, let's say, a single page and then a two-page splash, that single page either has to get dropped from the collection, which no one does, or you have to insert some kind of like blank or neutral page, because you have to always deal with multiples of two, left page, right page. Yeah, there is,
1: there is uh, so because they're not doing covers as well, quite often the covers are used as a way of um, breaking it, breaking things up or or sort of balancing out the, okay. the pages of a, of a story but they, they those are all in the back um, so they do do one interesting thing which is I think it's the first page of issue two, uh, issue number two there's it opens up with uh, quite a big close up of Destro's face with all of the reflections is that right or is that issue three um, yeah issue three opens up with Destro's face with all of these reflections of Soundwave and it's I don't know if it's entirely successful but it's quite an ambitious splash page um and quite an interesting image and it's what kind they, of busy yeah it's a bit bit yeah it, it is it's a difficult one to pull off it's obviously quite um, ambitious in terms of the the approach um they the page on the left of that in the collected edition what they've done is they, they essentially repeat a part of that panel they um just to separate out the dialogue So it says, how many of them have you completed as just a single page?
0: Ah, interesting.
1: Whereas uh, I think in the original publication, that is just one page. So they've, they've have applied it certainly there where it's a little, little bit more noticeable. Um, I don't know if they've, they've done similar tricks anywhere else on the.
0: the Um, The reason why I asked is that in issue one, I mean, as a, as someone who's made comics, sometimes when I see a double page splash, like at the beginning of issue one, and then just a few pages later, another double page splash, I think, oh no, do they have an even number of pages? <laughs> um, in issue one to, uh, I, th- I think, to sort of even this out, they drop in a, a, an ad, which, you know, you can do this in comics, but when you collect it in a collection, uh, it, you, you sort of can't. But um, something that I don't really, I don't like in the reading experience of these comics is halfway through issue one, I see the ad for issue two, which feels like it's yeah. jumping the gun. Yeah. Like, no, no, the the ad for issue two should be at the end of issue one, yeah. particularly yeah. if it has any story uh, elements to it, which this does not. Um, it's just you know a pinup of Destro and some bad guys. I talk a lot about storytelling and in the drawings having the quote camera sort of close enough or far enough so that we can see everything or if something changes, or if, you know, people are in the same space together, we need to see them in the same space together. And there's a moment in issue three, which I really like, which then a panel later, I really don't like. This is page four. Um, Cobra commander and Dr. Mindbender are bringing Destro into the lab to see Mm -hmm. Soundwave and there are two iron grenadiers with them. And, uh, Destro says, "And the transmission module, it will be ready in time. And Mindbender says, I can answer that for you, most definitely. After the past uh, months spent reverse engineering alien technology, it was a welcome relief working on something from our world. And we're looking past, uh, like up on Soundwave's shoulders, where we see like two Mm -hmm. Cobra Techs and a Techno Viper. And then there's a reverse angle in the next panel. We see this Cobra Tech and he's holding a pen and like a little pad and then we see Cobra Commander and he waves his hand and he says, go ahead, lower the platform. And then the next panel, uh, the, that Cobra tech is sort of welcoming Destro, sort of shaking his hands. And he says, do you know how to control the machine? And then the next panel, uh, Destro says something um, snide to him. And I was thinking about this page and there have been many moments in the Devil's Do publishing run in the first two years, written by Josh Blaylock, where there's a wordless panel, where Blaylock just takes a beat for someone to think or see something, or just a little bit of silent, wordless uh, pantomime. someone goes in a door, someone's like looking at something. And I like that he takes the time to do that, the valuable real estate. I like this moment where this Cobra Tech says, but I don't actually understand what he's saying or what he's reacting to. Is he intimidated that Destro is here? Is he nervous because he's behind schedule? No one asked him a question, and the the dialogue that immediately precedes this panel of him saying um, doesn't lead me to believe it doesn't doesn't connect entirely with this. I'd I, I sort of expect his dialogue to be like. Like, oh, we're ready for you, sir, come on up. But instead he says, um, so I think Blaylock is doing just some little bit of character business here, which I really like, but it's with uh, a nobody character. It's not with a named Cobra, and it's not even with a tech who's like said anything or done anything or got a name before this. So oddly, it's a weird wasted panel and then the next panel, which I really like, Cobra Commander is waving his hand and he says, Go ahead, lower the platform. And I thought, what platform? Because I'm looking on the first panel and I see these three Cobra, like the two techs and a Techno Viper up on uh, Soundwave's like shoulders, and I I don't like when he says platform, does he mean like have Soundwave like bend over so we can step up on his shoulders? Or is there some like gantry or a little like elevator? And then I realized in the fourth panel, I think there is a little, like, gantry elevator. It's this sort of light gray-blue thing that is in front of Destro, and I guess he's stepping off it, but it's like, wait, wouldn't Mindbender and the two Iron Grenadiers be on that as well? And so, I know this seems like a nitpicking, because... This is just two or three or four panels on one page. And in general, the the, the the scene communicates what it's supposed to. Cobra Commander is showing Destro what they've done. Destro's impressed. And then there's like a newscaster saying something about the alien robots. But Miller needs to like pull the camera back so that we see this little platform that can move up and down in the first panel. And I, I always like that universal symbol for, um, an edge that you might fall off of, like at the edge of an elevator or at the edge of a subway platform, which are the diagonal yellow and black lines. Uh, And if there were just some of those on this like weird cube thing that Destro's not really stepping off of. Uh, And then also while we're here, uh, let me say something nice about Mike S. Miller. Uh, On the next page, there's a great panel of uh, Lady J and Flint running down the hallway. Great poses, cameras low, super exciting. Uh, but then you know the colorists disappoint me because um, at the bottom of that then uh, the two panels underneath uh, Flint and Lady J I'm not sure if it's stalker or mm. dial tone and there's there's a there's a thing that a lot of colorists uh, do in comics the last like 20 years which is when they are coloring the skin of Africans or African Americans uh, they, they do it with a very light touch, and a lot of black characters in comics, to me, end up looking kind of just like all the white people standing around them, with like a little more red in them, or just very, very lightly brown skinned. And I think this is a case where it looks better on a monitor than it does when it's printed. I think colorists are can be concerned that if they uh, go too dark, it's gonna print too dark, which is a reasonable concern. Um, But, you know, other characters have like brown leather jackets and like dark brown hair. Um, And considering that Dial Tone is in this series and we started with um, Stalker, uh, I really need to be clear mm -hmm. when I see a Joe with a mustache and a beret. Yeah, I mean, to to be
1: to be fair, Stalker, when he appeared earlier, had a much thicker mustache and he didn't have a badge on his beret. So it's entirely possible that it's dial tone but there's not enough signifiers for us to think that it is dial tone and not a miscoloured a miscoloured stalker so yeah yeah possibly not a mistake in the way that they intended but you know a misstep nonetheless i wondered about the panel that you're talking with the cobra technician before as well whether potentially they've they've made a last minute revise what's the word revisation that's not a word is it um Re- revision revision <laughs> i wondered whether it might be a last minute revision um and that previously cobra commander might have been asking him a question where the um might have made more sense and they've yeah changed that bit of dialogue without changing then the the, the following piece but you know purely speculation who knows uh,
0: my final uh, comment, it's t- it's two items on the final page of the whole story. I know I've already covered this, that I wish the Autobots and Decepticons had a few more sort of color, if not like shape signifiers when they're in robot mode. Um, but uh, every time I see Starscream in this miniseries, I think, oh, cool, Skywarp is here. Because sort of the rules of Transformers are that Starscream is like gray and red and blue, and Skywarp is mostly black. And I keep seeing this Night Raven, Starscream in this story, and he's like all dark gray or black. And this happens even on the final uh, panel where I'm like, "Oh, what's Cobra Commander doing with Skywarp? Oh, oh, right, right. He got away with uh, with uh, uh, Starscream." Um, the final two panels of this um, remind me indirectly of the final page of the Marvel. GI Joe and the Transformers crossover from 86 87. That story has a love interest for Hawk which doesn't really work. And I forget she's um she's like a government liaison um and I think she's sort of against the robots in the story. I can't quite remember. But for having a government person who's separate than the Joes um have some like emotional beat and like wrapping up the story on the final page of that crossover. Even though I don't love that character, we've known who she is. She's been a specific character for all four issues. Even if she's a new character for that story, we never see her again. The ending to this story, the final two panels um, is, uh, three panels, excuse me, is uh, like an elevator and then a big reveal of a room Underground in New Mexico, and scientists working on um, disassembled sound wave, and then a scientist looking at a schematic, and you know clearly this is promising. Uh, more story, and this is sort of a, a, a bookend to that Cobra technician I was just talking about, who says um, where Josh Blaylock takes a whole panel, which considering how crowded the story is, is is a, a good amount of real estate, and has a non-entity character, a cobra who we don't know, who doesn't get a name, who doesn't do anything, do something, right? He says, um. And yet here, this room full of scientists, it's not scientists that we've met before. We don't have a close up of any of their faces. None of them get named. And that's fair. I, don't, I think if any of them got named now, it would, it would be confusing. And if we had a close-up of one and he had, like, a mustache, it'd be like, wait, is this a specific person? Should I know who this is? But I, at this point in the final three panels of the story, since it's just a nebulous government question, a cadre of scientists who have, like, taken over the reverse engineering, I feel like it's a missed opportunity. And, you know, those two generals who showed up in issue four, who were like, we're taking over now, Hawk, or uh, the president, you know, who shows up in, I forget, issue four or five. I feel like this final scene needs someone specific who had appeared earlier in the comic so that we can feel more of an emotional investment in this lingering story thread that, no, this isn't over, and the bad U.S. Mm -hmm. government is going to make more of these robots and do something interesting playing playing
1: devil's advocate on on that one i guess it's it's playing into the kind of the the area 51 piece you know of conspiracy theories which they have sort of talked about you know uh, through through this uh series and playing again into the part of the, the issue earlier where they wanted to cut off those couple of autobots that they were working with and deconstruct them for their own nefarious uh, means so it's not you know coming entirely out of of nowhere and and kind of having those that kind of almost anonymous secretive part of the government and having it completely you know nondescript and non-named you know maybe works in in, into that kind of idea that you know they are faithful faceless nameless gray bit of the government that you, you don't know what's happening um at the very last panel it says construction twenty nine complete twenty-nine percent complete on Megatron and, and maybe I've missed something, but the last time we saw him, he was pretty much intact and he was just given a big slap in the face by, by Optimus Prime. So I don't know why he's now only twenty-nine percent when I guess building mini bottle. I
0: took I took that to mean they're making yeah, more Megatrons, but I, I agree it's it's a little it's a little mm.
1: confusing. Okay. Uh, should we look into I Spy? I, I Spy, spy with, my with
2: my little eye. There's a couple things I want to try to point out. Actually, just one maybe. Uh, Design wise, look at number three. I think it's like page five where uh, Soundwave and you got some cobras are flying in. I love the slight redesign of the trouble bubble.
1: I didn't even notice it was any different, Jay.
2: <laughs> Doesn't it look a little bit like the front of it looks like a, like almost more sled like the uh, like the the driver is is more of a um, kind of a leaned back yeah. position. It, it looks slightly uh-huh. different than, than than original. And I just when I turned to that page, I was like, oh wow, that's such a neat, uh, such a neat. Like I said, it's just a very slight redesign to me. But I thought that was really neat the way that they did that as far as like other little bits of things obviously when the joes are in the transport in the beginning i think stalker maybe is sitting in front of a crate that says arbco industries on it and you know that's uh putting that right out there and it's not not much of an eye spy when it's so big and prominent in the panel um yeah so i mean and you know when you got a thing like this it's just it's probably going to be full of eye spies little tiny details that mm-hmm, sure. like you said the 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 Somebody higher up said, oh, you need to put this in. You need to put this in, even if it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, so that's what we end up with.
1: I spy a roster of soldiers that General Flag is looking at to uh, join the G.I. Joe team, and it includes Spike Witwicky with the code name Spike. Oh, where, this where is this? Is what chapter? Chapter one-ish, chapter two, uh, just when he's talking to Hawk about... Uh, forming the Joe crew. Let me see. It's maybe. Not... Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, there's a panel with a list of uh, names: Doc, Gung Ho, Sci-Fi, Snake Eyes, Lifeline, Duke, Clutch, Leatherneck, Quick Quick, Barbecue, Stalker, um, and yeah. Oh, so, sorry, not Duke. Spike. That was the, the. It's got K E stands, but then they, the file name across it, from it is Spike Wiki. Cool. Uh, I cool. spy a callback to the original Marvel crossover, where uh, in issue, th- uh, where, yeah, the callback is in issue three, um, and it's uh, putting us in mind of Bumblebee being destroyed by the GI Joe team when, uh, r- rather unceremoniously, when they first encounter him. It's it's a bit of a case of he's coming right for us, fire. <laughs> and there's a uh, bumblebee being just dis- destroyed uh whereas in this case he he has a missile shot at him and uh, is able to catch it instead yeah they say we don't have time for this Refu- enemy refuses to cooperate fire no grab <laughs> so uh yeah putting it in mind but uh, but yeah bumblebee is not written off this time around
0: i own the original arts to the page where they kill Bumblebee in the original wow. miniseries. And it's, uh, it's interesting and a little upsetting. I've never liked that <laughs> scene. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's fun yeah, to own the we'll, art, but it's like, come on guys. Yeah. Don't, but don't, don't you know, rush There's normally that bit um, of
1: confusion where they accidentally start fighting and then they realize they're on the same side after all. But, but yeah, it doesn't normally involve the, the killing of one of the main heroes.
0: Yeah. Uh, I have an eye spy. Um, mercer Mm -hmm. spits after he appears which is a visual callback to him spitting Mm -hmm. on a scorpion in the 1987 animated gi joe the movie and uh, just as uh, megatron has his um, fancy glowing purple weapon as a hand replacement which uh is a callback to um the three the three first episodes of the 1984 cartoon Megatron's line also at the beginning of issue one here, when he wakes up and sees co-commander, he says, I still function. That's a throwback to the animated movie when he meets uh, Unicron. And um, I think as a general rule, this kind of reference should, um, I, th- I think we should mm-hmm. hold off on these. I think, I think these stories, you know, like the live action movie, the first Michael Bay movie, when Prime and Megatron are fighting and Prime says, one shall stand, one shall fall. It's like, oh, I know that line. It's in that other Transformers <laughs> in the movie that I've seen 45 times in my life. It's like, you know, like if you're going to do it, this should be an incredibly subtle, like, you know, in our, this is not quite the same thing, but um, in, in a previous episode of this podcast, we talked about issue 283 of A Real American Hero, where a character shows up for the first time since 1987 who was in special missions number 4 and I had just forgotten, right? Like you know, if you're going to do a callback, be be subtle or do a deep cut as opposed to like prime's most famous line or like, you know, this iconic line. I think it's fun, but it ends up being a little distracting and you know, I don't I don't want this crossover to remind me of other G.I. Joe and Transformers stories i want it to be mm. its own thing
1: i spy starscream and cobra commander in uh, the same scene which if we were to imagine this as a cartoon would have both of the characters mm. uh, voiced by the same voice actor uh, chris letter
0: that's good i spy in issue 4 uh one of the uh I think it's it's one of the um, generals, Uh, Frankel, F-R-A-N-K-E-L. And there was a Hasbro employee uh, in the middle 2000s named Mm. Andrew Frankel who worked on Transformers. Uh, I think he's in the credits of, um, was it Robots in Disguise? Was that the show from Japan that was on in 2001? Uh, I'm such a big Transformers <laughs> fan that I, I get the shows. I should get the shows mixed up because now there's so many that they've repeated the titles. Um, but there are also a couple other names of um, specific generals who show up in this story who don't jump out at me as uh, Easter eggs. So I thought this one is probably that person, um, but maybe they're all just and you know, there's, random And there's names. one of them is called um,
1: Renegar or something like that, which is the same name as the Renegar variant for gi joe issue i think it was 21 um the one by uh, mike turner um and it's an unusual word so, so i wonder if uh yeah maybe one maybe oh. one f- to to it's... see if we can uh ask uh ask about down the line with our mystery guest
0: hmm. um i have an error detected for uh, issue number four. Uh, there, there are two word balloons that are out of order. Um, uh, where um, that's that's pretty small. In issue six, uh, there's a Cobra soldier who's colored green, mm. not blue.
1: I've got I've got a, um, a nice petty one, which isn't too far off, <laughs> off of yours your two, two, which is uh, uh, a your and your error. Y O U apostrophe yeah. R E versus Y-O-U-R. Uh, your attack on the SDS Center is a bit of lying uh, line of dialogue. And I don't know, I'm a, I'm a bit pedantic about that. And uh, that just gives me a little bit of a, make me, make, makes me feel a little queasy when, when that's that's happening.
0: One, one of the comments that I wanted to make is that in a previous episode, we were sort of comparing um, the, the final Josh Blaylock arc, issues 22 through 25 to the first Josh Blaylock arc, because they both have a lot going on and high stakes and sort of a big battle. And it seems that Blaylock um, got better in the two years. And similarly, here is a big crowded Blaylock story with really high stakes that comes at the end of his two years. Um, And I don't think there are a lot of comparisons to be made between this crossover miniseries uh, and that first arc, Um, but on page five this is not a josh blaylock thing this is a uh this is a dreamer design thing um two two years later in the final panel of page five of issue one uh Cobra commander has three word balloons and for some reason halfway through the middle one the eyes the letter i just have serifs (laughs) um and in looking at the second uh then prepare charges to seal the cabin entrance. I want it to look like this ship was never here, and neither were we. The second half of that dialogue looks oddly cramped, and I think that's uh, like a fix. They left a word out, and then they like had to cram in other words or a rewrite, and whoever did that fix, whatever the button in Photoshop is to like turn off eyes with serifs, unless it's the word eye by itself, that, that button did not get clicked, uh, and I was both disappointed to see this because I thought Dreamer Design had learned by now, but also sort of enchanted because, you know, we can bookend the the beginning of The Devil's Do Run and the Josh Blaylock era with, with the end of the Josh Blaylock era and, and a, a, a sort of a mirror a mirror mistake.
1: Okay, uh, favorite line of dialogue, have you got one?
2: I can't think that I've got a favorite line of dialogue, really.
0: Uh, it's the one that I did at the beginning when I talked about sort of this, the scale of this when uh, sort of the, it's in issue one, the the his tanks have unloaded and, and Stalker says, we're not equipped for this, we need heavy support, fast. It's the first half of that, we're not equipped for this. That, that is symbolic of this new continuity where it's an origin sort of for all the groups meeting for the first time and us meeting them for the first time it's like oh okay well the joes are going to have to get their own transformers or i hope they meet some transformers Hmm.
1: Uh, i don't have a favorite line of dialogue but i do have a least favorite line of dialogue it's <laughs> like mm. so i'm going to recycle your jingle tim
0: right did i did i sing something did i make something of
1: you did you did
0: mark mark dialogue mark mark doesn't like all the dialogue here's some words that mark didn't like also apostrophes (laughs) in your
1: so uh, my least favorite line of dialogue um the authentication is genuine mr mitchell no matter how many times i double check it if you double check it you are checking it twice (laughs) if you Uh, should he he should if you're checking it three times you're triple checking
0: checking it it. (laughs) right okay
1: yeah i'm sorry Okay. I have double checked it five times. Okay, so shall we do some yo Joe age scoring? I can't believe I've never done yeah. a jingle for this, by the way. It's uh... Uh,
0: one, ten, six, eight. What are the points you give to Joe? It's a story. That you like. Unless you don't, it's a story. <laughs> <laughs> some, some, something like that. That's just, that's just a rough. Maybe you can maybe you can um enhance that with Mm -hmm. some music two four
1: six eight which joes do we appreciate i don't know let's workshop it okay so yeah i think my my sort of viewpoint hasn't changed too much since the beginning the art is okay but not great uh the coloring is distracting um i don't feel invested in in these characters or continuity um The Transformers transforming into G.I. Joe vehicles is cool, but ultimately the story is a little bit flat and too many characters are introduced and uh, sort of, I lose interest overall. So um, it's fine and functional, but um, not great. I think I am giving it a four. Wow. I think the first three issues would get
0: a six from me. Um, things are less exciting and uh, dramatic in the final three issues. And uh, I think the art is uh, good. And I think compared to a lot of, you know, devils do art. I think the art is um, pretty great. And Miller, man, has a tall order, drawing a lot of big and small characters, very mm. particular costumes and designs. Um, and it's a crowded story, but you know some of his storytelling could be more dramatic, lowering those horizon lines. Um, I agree. I don't. I don't love the coloring, um, but uh, I'm much more willing to give this um, leeway in terms of Blaylock um, trying something new or like making it just much more of the animated continuity as opposed to the comic, which is clearly picking up from. The Marvel continuity, I'm, I'm, I think I'm much harder on that because my the stakes are higher for me. But you know, once you have the sort of, quote, realistic Joes and the not-realistic alien robots from millions of years ago, uh, there's a lot more leeway to uh, be goofy or go crazy or um, be um, more sort of soft sci-fi. Uh, so I, I give this a five, uh, which isn't very high, but um, I still enjoyed it.
1: Okay, fair enough.
2: Overall, I enjoyed this. Uh, It was... The decision to make it it, its own kind of merged continuity was interesting. Uh, I think that it, it, you know, it freed them to do a lot of things that they couldn't do otherwise, like we talked about with the other... uh, you know the 4 issue the original marvel one was done uh, was almost not referenced at all ever by anyone uh, you know so you're like well you got these issues you know are the do the transformers exist in this continuity do they do you know, do they work together do they interact here yes right from the beginning boom it works it is what it is um yeah like i said i i, I liked it i liked it better than the marvel one probably i thought the art was was better you know it was more uh machines and everything looked better um, you know, a little more modern. Uh yeah, overall I, I liked it. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh to the second part of it.
1: Um so what's your yo age score?
2: Oh I'm gonna give it a seven and a half. Seven point mm-hmm.
1: five. Oh, quite high.
2: Mm-hmm. Quite high. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't deserve an eight, but it's definitely uh definitely more than a six for me. Uh yeah. And and again, it's kinda like with the with the, the main series with the Bad O issues the good art makes a not great story much more palatable Mm -hmm. yeah
1: um the yeah the remaining question be was what what would be your level of excitement to reading series two do you think
0: oh this is a good question um so i didn't read it at the time because i remember I, th- I think we're. I think where I lose interest is at the end of issue six here, where there's a panel where the the Joes now have sort of their own, like mm-hmm. giant oh, robots yeah, yeah, that yeah, look yeah. like giant robot suits, giant robot suits based on like the snake armor, but they're like designed and colored as if each one is yep. a specific Joe, and um, at this point it's, it's like, okay. I want G.I. Joe to be a G.I. Joe. I want Transformers to be G- Transformers. If they meet, I think we can do it once. But if they mix a lot, then it's like mask. Mm-hmm. And I want mask to be mask. I don't want G.I. Joe to be mask. And um, and I remember that um, I think there's a cover for the the third crossover where um, Hawk is holding the Matrix okay. like, on Cybertron. And it's like cool also no i don't it's just sort of too much and too deep now um like you know as long as there's still a monthly transformers comic and a monthly gi joe comic heck you could have a like deep dive bonkers ongoing crossover comic uh not even a six issue mini and a six issue mini and a six issue mini but um these these brands are such specific things to me in their different incarnations um you know, it's sort of like, um, it's like the Porsche SUV. I think Porsches should be Porsches and, oh geez, the Ferrari <laughs> SUV. Uh, I think, I think Porsches should be Porsches and SUVs should be SUVs. And when you have a Porsche SUV, it's not, it's not a special Porsche anymore and it's, it's sort of not quite an SUV. Mm-hmm. So, um, for purposes of this podcast, will I read the second crossover and talk about it? Absolutely. Did I buy it at the time and read it? No.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, as, as as lukewarm as I've given the the review for for this overall, when I got to that chapter break in the omnibus, I was tempted to keep on reading, not not tempted enough that I actually did. So so I don't know if I I don't know if I'll I'll scratch that urge immediately, but um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of I'm not and I'm not against the idea at all of uh, of of reading the the next one I certainly hope to be pleasantly surprised so uh yeah doors not closed that's
0: a that's a good that's a good phrase to end that idea on hope to be pleasantly surprised because you know at at this point you know it's like well the original marvel one and the later marvel one they're not they're not a lot of fun they're sort of weird um, so every time a publisher comes back to try this, it's like, well, this might be the one, you know, that, that like does something so different, like the first Dreamwave one, uh, which is, which takes place during world war two, which is so strange and wonderful. Uh, although it has yeah, some, we problems. should,
1: uh, we should definitely try and um, um, do that one as a special at some point. Um, it in. Can, cool.
0: I have I have those issues from Ooh, when I've they came out. I've got two pages of reading so out from it, I'll actually. Nice.
1: Uh, very good.
2: <laughs> this is how the story goes. Attention! At this moment, you are now listening
1: to talking a talking innuendo.
2: If you are offended by words like sucking,
1: flesh wound, Willie, Pete, balls, crystal balls, hypno <laughs> shield,
2: whatever, take the tape out now. This is not a pop album. And by the way, suck my grandmother's mother- brick in a Prada handbag.
1: Time now for some innuendo, and it's a Transformers special. Ooh. So if you're in the right frame of mind and specifically my frame of mind, a lot of Transformers names can sound pretty dirty. <laughs> so I've come oh, wow. up with a list of 10 Transformer names. And I'm going to get through all 10 and see how many laughs I can generate. Okay, here we go. Both mics on, and we'll start. Hot Rod.
2: <laughs> that was my first one. As soon as you said there's a lot of Transformers names, that was what popped into my head, and I thought, oh, I want to blur out. Hot I wanted Rod to surprise you with you this because right otherwise, you might that.
1: steal yourself ready for them. <laughs> okay. Um, jazz. <laughs> headmasters.
2: Uh, I, I can just keep laughing now. You know I'm they, they don't
0: they don't call them headmasters anymore. <laughs> we call them we call them powermasters now. It's so much better.
1: Sideswipe. He's always on Tinder, that guy. <laughs> Cup. <laughs> Blue stream. No,
0: you know, cup is short for pickup truck, believe it or not. <laughs> Sorry, I, I talked over your next one.
2: <laughs>
1: Blue streak. Good one, good one. Sea spray. <laughs> slag. <laughs> does that mean the same in in the, in the US as it does in the UK?
0: Yeah, should you tell your our American listeners I what slag means? I don't, mean? don't know,
2: yeah.
1: Mean? It's like, um, it, I'll, I'll put it in a sentence. Shut it, you slag! Um, it's is uh, I guess uh, you know it's a derogatory term applied to women who yeah. may be uh, slightly fo- too forthcoming with their affections. Let's say. Oh. Um. Okay. Here we go. Two more. Thrust. <laughs>
0: I'm and... smiling, but I'm not. But not laughing for thrust. <laughs>
1: Last but not least, RC. Oh, nothing for that. That was my grand finale.
0: I think you should have ended with thrust. <laughs> yeah,
2: or hot rod. <laughs> it was so funny one. though. You said hot rod was your very first one because, like, that was the very first thing that popped into my head was hot rod. I'm like, <laughs> it's got rod in the name. Come on.
1: See, I think I, I think I was about seven out of ten for that.
2: Maybe. <laughs> there are some good ones. And now you've got the whole property in front of you, whereas with Joe you've handpicked the good ones. <laughs> so Mark's okay. going to want to do more Transformers crossovers just for that.
1: I think I've used the best ones now already. I was, uh, <laughs> I was not yeah, holding yeah, it. Yeah. was not holding any re- in reserve. You
0: haven't <laughs> used you haven't used Missile Master yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you. I have. think.
0: Yeah, I think I think okay. he's a Micro Master. I think he's from hmm, 90, 91. Forget.
1: Yeah, Micromaster's quite a good one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Okay, so next
2: time
1: time on Talking Joe Disavowed, we will have an extra special surprise episode. So stay tuned for that. And then after that, we will return for G.I. Joe Frontline. Uh, The very first arc, issues 1 to 4, with returning hero Larry Hammer. Back on the regular show, we will continue to be covering uh, the A.R.A. issues as they come out. The exciting new arc, Murder by Assassination, continues with artist Andrew Griffiths. Uh, in between that, we will also have bonus shows like the sketchbook shows. If you have not checked out uh, our most recent one with Chuck Custers, please head on over to YouTube or stand by for the audio version of, this, uh, of the show on uh on the normal audio platforms um yeah quite a sensational collection there really enjoyed that um where can people find you guys jay uh
2: break Room sketches on facebook hopefully we'll be getting some uh some more sketches up there before too long work's been really busy we've had a lot of new people come in so i've been training and i just haven't had a lot of time to uh, you know haven't had much personal time
1: and Tim, I am not forgetting. Almost on my mind. A, a Where can people real, find um, you?
2: A Go on. real. Um, Don't let me interrupt.
0: A, uh, a real. Right, American, ready. Wow. <laughs> a real Sorry, American. Tim. Wow. <laughs> Missile Master. MissileMaster.com. Uh, a I real want Ameri- Tim to do
2: a combined <laughs> blog that's called uh, A Real American Book That's More Than Meets the Eye.com.
0: I, someday I'll do something with, with the Transformers <laughs> interviews. It, it's catchy. It has like all of
1: it. I don't know if you should re- say that out loud on the podcast. Someone's going to nick that name.
0: Uh, <laughs> it's a little long. Uh, my website uh, for our listeners is com. You can also find me at arealamericanbook on Instagram and Facebook.
1: Very good. Um, you can find out more about this show on the usual places. Talkingjoe.co.uk is the website that has them. Facebook, where if you've not yet joined, please do. Lots of good discussion over there. Talking Joe on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, our email contact details are on the website too. And if you've been a regular listener and haven't reached out and said hello, please feel free to. It's always nice to hear from, uh, from listeners. We're also on Patreon. patreon.com slash talking joe a big thanks to all of our backers richard sam jay bill christopher justin who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content Nice. but when all is said and done you can catch us down the road because we've been talking joe
2: and we're all out of joes and transformers (laughs)
0: and we're more than meets the
1: eye
2: and uh hopefully i can go get back to sleep for a couple hours and uh lather rinse repeat
1: (laughs) <laughs> for
2: life is uh, work sleep and G.I. Joe basically